Do you know, when I went through theological college, the guy who taught us preaching said, never raise something that you don't resolve because the congregation just spent the rest of your sermon thinking about the thing that you've raised and never resolved. And on that note, and on that note the baby was Sam Kerr. Oh, there you go, Sam Kerr. Oh, the baby number one was Evangeline. (laughs) I wonder whether you... Put up your hand if you do the kind of Christmas Eve fireworks thing. Do the Christmas Eve fireworks? Not Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve fireworks. See, I... I can remember a number of times as I was growing up, we would go into Circular Quay and watch the fireworks. Now, when, we, when I was growing up, you'd go into Circular Quay and there were a few firecrackers. Nowadays, they spend $16 billion on them and you end up with something like that. One of those amazing events that you look and the whole of the sky lights up and it looks spectacular and you think, wow, and then you go home. And what's next? A spectacular thing that, well, I, I, I mean, what it might do is mean that next New Year's Eve you go, yeah, we'll go back again and have another look. And for many people, actually, that's what's happening at this time of year. You go into King George Square and you have a look at the big tree and, and you go, wow, isn't it pretty? Isn't it spectacular? And then you go home. Maybe it's a time of year when you gather some people around you, some friends, some family, you give presents to each other, then the next day you break them. That's usually the trend. I once heard that Australia throws in the bin on Boxing Day four times what it spends in a year on foreign aid. Have a think of that. Four times what it spends on foreign aid, it throws in the bin on Boxing Day. Is this Christmas thing one of those nostalgic things like watching the fireworks? Wow, isn't it pretty? I mean, in a sense, you'd have to ask that of the people who encountered... The, the people we, we've heard about from that reading that Oliver read to us, peeps. Was it something they just sort of went, wow, oh, that was cool. Let us know next time you're going to do it. I mean, it was a very strange event. We read from chapter 2 of Luke that these shepherds, after this event, rushed off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who's lying in a manger. Now, there's a thing that we're automatically into because we're used to the idea of nativity. Who knows what it means when it says there was a baby lying in a manger? Does you know what that is? Put your hand up if you think you know what that is. Now, put your hand up if you use the word manger any time other than Christmas. If you were, say, at a farm, would you refer to anything on that farm as a manger? (laughs) 
it, it's in a sense, it's a word that's been completely disconnected from its context. And so we lose just how weird, how unusual this day was. Here is a baby in a food trough, the weirdest place to find a baby. What is going on? What is this something that happened? Is it something that is, wow, what's on tomorrow? Or is it something that means something more? Is this baby something more? In a sense, the the passage that we heard starts with something normal. For a given value of normal. We're told that Mary and Joseph were in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a little country village to the south of Jerusalem. It's not on a main road. By the way, for all of those people who think that Mary and Joseph went from inn to inn asking the innkeepers, there probably wasn't a single inn in Bethlehem. There wasn't a main road. It wasn't that big a town. It was just a little backwater. They were there. But while they were there, the time came for a baby to be born. That's not that unusual. Time came for John to be born and he was born. Who's he joining us from 316 Church? Time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. This manger wasn't uh, chosen because it looked nice in, in paintings or because it would make a nice feature in nativity scenes for years to come. The manger was simply chosen because they had to put the baby somewhere. And the place was packed. And we know why it was packed. Verses four and five. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth where he and Mary lived to Judea, uh, in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Here you go. Here is this child who is to be born. They're in Bethlehem because they have to be. Where are they? Probably in the family home. They're from a family that dwells around Bethlehem. But it's packed. This is a family home that has people kind of everywhere. Who's got visitors here this Christmas? My hand is up. And sometimes it means a certain amount of juggling. Anybody experience that? Yes? I'm looking at uh, Julie putting her hands up going, yes, yes, yes. Trinity and Daniel are there. You know, I think Oliver's sleeping on the floor at the moment (laughs) because the house is full. Now you imagine what it's like when everybody has to go to the place of their their, their ancestral home. The the, the ancestral home's going to be packed. The, the, The family, whatever family lived in Bethlehem, were putting everybody up. The guest room... They were putting in triple bunks on top of double bunks on top of whatever else they could do. People were sleeping on the floor. People were sleeping on the cupboards. People were sleeping on the cat. It was just packed. And where do you put a baby at the time like that? Well, there's a big central room in an 
in a Jewish home, a place where they would bring the animals in at night to protect them. And guess what was there to feed the animals? A food trough. A place to put a baby. In a sense, there's a tone of normal in this. This feels like family, doesn't it? I love that about this account, that there are tones of normal. Back in chapter 1, the message began for Mary with a, a, a word going to a, a, a bywater town in Galilee called Nazareth. Back and beyond, a town called Nazareth to a nobody named Mary and a tradie husband. This was normal. This was something normal. And for those of us who occupy the world of normal, there is good news in this account beginning in normal. Isn't there? Touching on our world, connecting with our world, our life. And yet this isn't just a normal story. If we stop at normal, we really do miss the point. Because this wasn't just another baby born in the overflow of a family get-together gone haywire. This was also something world-shaking. And the biographer who's written this, Luke, begins this chapter with a little flag that just tells us that this is, this is a bit more global. He mentions not just anybody, but the emperor himself in Rome. This is a picture of power. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor. Uh, why is, is there this impromptu family get-together in Bethlehem? Because the emperor of, basically, you can say, the world has declared that it must be so, and the whole earth moves. And they're moving so that he can get their money. These censuses were usually used for taxation. Make sure we know who's there, how many people are around, so we can tax them. And he said, go. I'm not sure that's actually what this statue is doing. <laughs> Go to Bethlehem. I know that's... But Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus. Somebody whose very name was... Well, was about greatness. August. Great. His actual name was Gaius Octavius. But we all know him as Augustus, the great one. And, and, and that name, Augustus, was beyond something that you just give to somebody who you thought was pretty cool. It was, a, it was, it was the sort of title you give to a, a deity. And in fact, there were proclamations about Caesar's birthday that says this is good news for all the world because it's the birthday of the god Augustus. who is organising world-shattering events, but you know something that Caesar Augustus doesn't, if you've read chapter 1 of Luke. You know that this isn't the working out of Caesar's plan to tax his world. This is the working out of God's plan to save 
his world. Caesar Augustus is not the great one here. Indeed, the angel told Mary that the child that she was going to have, well, he said he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will will, will never end. This is a picture of kingship but not any old kingship. This is a picture of kingship that draws on all of the promises that have been made throughout the scriptures that a king is going to come who will bring in the kingdom of God and and the kingdoms of this world will be brought into the kingdom of, of this king, this Messiah, this global king. This is... The one child whose authority and sovereignty dwarfs that of Augustus. This is something world-shaking that has gone on. This child promised from ages back, the promise reiterated to Mary, now fulfilled in Bethlehem, in the birthplace of David, the one whose descendant was always destined as the Messiah. This is something world-shaking and it's something life-changing. And here's where the world-shaking and the everyday come together. If you read through chapter 1, chapter 1 of Luke begins with an angel turning up to a priest by the name of Zechariah who's working in the temple. And as most people do when they're confronted by an angel, something, someone from who's leaves your imagination just crushed and somebody who represents the Lord of the universe, someone who represents that God. You remember anybody read in Isaiah? Isaiah has a vision of God and his first response is, woe to me, I am ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the Almighty. Can you see why the usual response when you're confronted with an angel is fear? This is a messenger of the holy, perfect, majestic God. And his first message to Zechariah was, do not fear. He then told him about a child who was to be born, John, who would prepare the way for God's Messiah. He then told him of a a sign that he would give. Zechariah would be silent until the child was born. And then the account of Zechariah and John the Baptist in chapter 1 is closed when Zechariah, now free to speak again because the child has been born, bursts into song. You then go to Mary. An angel comes to Mary. Do not fear, says the angel. A child is to be born. And this child is to be the Messiah, the King. And here's your sign. Your cousin, who you thought Baron Elizabeth, wife of Zechariah, has a child. And the account finishes with what? Mary bursting into song. 
And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Typical reaction. Same place that Mary and Zechariah were before. And here are these shepherds. Shepherds in time to come were to get a bit of a bad rep. But at the time of Jesus' birth, they were just commonplace. They were around. Normal people, average Joes. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. There it is again. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born. Here's the child born again. You're seeing the pattern? Here's the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. Here's the same pattern. And the pattern has been growing. To Zechariah, he was told there, was, there would be a child who would be born who was going to prepare the way for God's Messiah. Now you hear that the Messiah, the, the, the promised king of Israel, is going to be born of Mary. And then the shepherds are told that this child, this Messiah, is not just going to be something about... The angel says something global about this Messiah. This one who is coming. For a start, this one who comes is going to be a saviour. A word touted by, yes, Augustus Caesar. It was a common term used by the emperor. I'm going to save you. In that sense of, I'm going to save you from not being under my rule. He was very good at saving people from not being under his rule. But he is a real saviour. A saviour who will rescue not just from uh, some enemy or from disorder, but from sin and death, from all of the mess that we build in this world through our desire to run life for ourselves. And this saviour, this rescuer comes to free us from sin and the death that comes from it. He is the Messiah the promised king. But he's not just the Messiah, the promised king. He is Lord. He is the Lord. This is the one who is truly God with us. This is the one where we look at Jesus, we see God in the flesh come among us. This is something far more earth-shattering, far more life-changing. Because Luke is not just wanting us to realise that there's this really fantastic baby here. He wants us to realise what the baby is going to become. Not a prince in the royal family or, I don't know, pastor of a church or whatever the other babies we had at the beginning. And no, this one, Luke's gospel is going to take us on a freight train to the very heart of what it means for God with us to come into this world in the events of a cross when Jesus 
will indeed save from the power of sin and death by taking sin and death on himself. Who doesn't stay dead but rises from the dead, death defeated, sin conquered. Humanity saved. Here is our saviour. And is it any wonder that the pattern then goes to the logical conclusion if the news to Zechariah meant the Mary, meant that as soon as she saw Elizabeth pregnant, she sang. Now for the whole of creation, the sky fills with the messengers of God singing. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. Here is a picture of joy because this news is the most breathtaking. This something ordinary, this something world-shaping, this something life-changing is also something worth something. This is 15 and 16 about. Verses 15 and 16. When the angels had left them, that is the shepherds, and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Well, the, the first reaction we see to this news is to go and check it out. And I want to invite you, if you have never done this, to do it. God's never been afraid of being checked out. God has never been afraid of you looking up stuff, reading up, checking out the evidence. There was a great promise made to the shepherds, so they went to see it. That was the idea. And seeing it, they put their trust. They responded. They rejoiced. So if you've never done this, let me encourage you to do it. Number one, go and see. Second reaction that we find <laughs> is that having seen, they can't shut up. They just can't shut up. This is not like the fire. I mean, I went home from New Year's Eve fireworks and I might have said, hey, that were pretty cool. But I'll tell you what, by the next day I'd moved on. This wasn't something you moved on from. They couldn't shut up about it. They started spreading the word concerning what they had been told about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. It's astounding news they just couldn't help but talk about. If you have checked out, if you have gone and seen, don't feel like you've got to keep it under a hat. Don't feel like, don't, don't, there's kind of this pressure that says everything's supposed to be private religion stuff. And you can't tell me anything because if you tell me what you believe, you're oppressing me with your views. What a lot of rubbish. If you're excited about something, you talk about it. I've had people who sat next to me excited about something. They talk my ear off. 
Yes, I've got to confess I wasn't interested at all in what they were talking about. But they were excited and I could see the thrill in them. And that that thrill meant that they could not shut up. I know other people who've sat down and listened to me as I've rabbited on endlessly about something that I was excited about. And please keep to yourself that fact. There's a third reaction, and we see it at the end there. Mary, Mary who had heard about what was coming, Mary who had already, in a sense, committed herself, well, not in a sense, in a massive way, Mary who was told by the angel, basically, you're going to be someone who in a very, very, a pariah in your neighbourhood, And you know the truth, but you also know that nobody else will. And she says, I'm in. She's already done that. Now, as she sees this child born, the response of shepherds coming and visiting because they'd seen the whole host of heaven turn up and sing a song because of the birth of this baby, goes away and ponders it, reflects on it. Now, we know from reading through the Gospels, she's got some journeys to go on. There's some places where she gets the wrong end of the stick. There's some places where she gets the right end of the stick. For those of you who know this Jesus, don't waste the time, don't waste the the opportunity to to dwell on this, to, to ponder it, to wrestle with it. The God who took on flesh and dwelt among us. God with us, the one who is Saviour, who is Messiah, who is Lord. The one who rescues, the one who rules, the one who is sovereign over all. Ponder it. The place, if we stop there, I think we've missed the place that these two chapters just drive us. What was the pattern again? Can you remember? The angel comes. Don't be afraid. There's a child who's been born. Here's the sign. And then you get a song. And you go through this pattern three times. And where does the passage finish it? It finishes with the shepherds walking away and now they're starting to sing. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. The God of massive promises had fulfilled them. The God who is sovereign over all had done something in the world of the normal. Something that was earth-shaking above the realm of emperors. Done something that was life-changing. And what else could you do but thank that God? Lift your own voice, join Zechariah, and give praise to the God who promises and fulfills the God who we meet in Jesus. Friends, 
Don't let Christmas just be one of those times when you go and look at a pretty tree in King George Square and it rates just like a fireworks show on New Year's Eve. Yay today, what's next tomorrow? This is big. This is something to check out. This is something that is worth exploring, teasing out, seeing what is there. This is something worth talking about, discussing, not shutting up about it. It's too good. This is something that is worth pondering, reflecting on, digging deep. And this is something worth singing about, something glorious, something magnificent. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing something. Who was not just every day, though he occupies the world of the everyday. Who was king, more than that. God made flesh and dwelling among us. Our Lord and God, we pray that we would not just enjoy the experience and move on. Save us from that shallow thinking. Help us to have the courage to check it out, to dig deeper. Help us to be so filled with wonder at what you have done that we can't stay silent anymore. Help us to reflect and ponder deeply what you have achieved. And then open our lips that we might declare your praise. For we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Saviour, our King, our Lord. Amen.